This week on the Science of Politics, Republicans successfully politicized Ebola. Will it work for COVID-19? For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. Donald Trump is trying to link the COVID-19 pandemic to his favorite issue, stopping immigration. Will history repeat? When an Ebola outbreak came to U.S. public attention just before the 2014 midterm elections, Republicans were able to use it to their political advantage by tying it to immigration. How will this time be different? Today, I talked to Claire Adida of UC San Diego about her Politics, Groups, and Identities paper with Kim Dion and Melina Pilatas, Ebola, Elections, and Immigration. They find that just raising the Ebola issue wasn't enough to change opinions, but Republican politicians could successfully raise fear of immigration by politicizing Ebola. I also talked to Felipe Campante of Johns Hopkins about his NBER paper with Emilio de Pretas Chauvin and Ruben Durante, The Virus of Fear. They find that local Ebola outbreaks gave Republicans an electoral advantage in the 2014 elections by changing immigration attitudes. Changing these views was enough to change votes. They agree that Ebola was a big U.S. news story just before the election. Despite a huge outbreak, U.S. attention was tied to the U.S. cases. The Ebola outbreak of of December 2013 was a huge news story for those of us interested in Africa, and specifically West Africa, which is which is where it started, and, and really where it was where it was prevalent. It was a, a, a horrible outbreak. It killed more than eleven thousand people across uh, three countries: Guinea, Sierra Leone, and Liberia. And it didn't actually officially end until mid twenty sixteen. It was the deadliest and most widespread Ebola outbreak on record at the time. Uh, but it didn't catch anyone's attention in the U.S. So if you look at trends in Google searches for the term Ebola in the U.S., you see basically just a horizontal line at zero for the first half of 2014, right? So six, seven months into the outbreak, there's zero interest uh, in this as measured by Google searches for the term Ebola in the U.S. And then in August 2014, you start to see a little spike. And that's just after the first American was infected in Liberia on July 26 uh, of 2014 and brought back to the U.S. for treatment. And then the next big spike, the biggest spike actually, comes in October and November of 2014 when the virus appears in the U.S. for the first time because of a Liberian national traveling to Dallas to visit family and then developing symptoms once in Dallas. And then one of his nurses eventually also catching it, um, catching Ebola. So that's that's right around the time of the midterm elections. It's October, it's the fall of 2014. And that's when you see this huge spike in searches in uh, in the U.S. for, for Google searches for, for the term Ebola. So the first thing to remember is that uh, it, was a, it was a big public health crisis in West Africa, right? So over the first few months of uh, 2014, there were, uh, you know, a substantial number of cases, you know, thousands of cases of Ebola, uh, particularly affecting Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Liberia, three country, countries in West Africa. So uh, the World Health Organization at some point declared this a, a sort of a global health emergency that was around uh, uh, August. And that became like an international, uh, you know, piece of news, but it never really, you know, if, if we look at the data, it never really became a, a sort of public health crisis anywhere else. But 
it did reach uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, and it, it and it reached the U.S. Uh, in, in a particularly uh, sensitive political timing, right? So in in late September, 2014, one individual, uh, a Liberian national, was uh, visiting the U.S. and and fell ill and was uh, diagnosed with Ebola, and and that was in in Dallas, Texas, and that generated sort of a, a big that was that was big news in the US. So if you look at the the level of coverage uh, in cable news and broadcast news, that was you know that was huge and you know it's kind of uh, understandable given you know it's a, it's a very you know gruesome disease uh, uh, very little in terms of treatment, very high uh, uh, mortality rate. So it's it it was it was a big deal and then you know after that first case there were two nurses who were involved in treating that patient and they, you know, were infected as well. And it so happened that one of them between being infected and uh, falling ill and being diagnosed had traveled from Dallas to uh, uh, the Cleveland Akron area in, in Ohio. So that was kind of a second uh, uh, area in uh, affected uh, in the U.S. And then there was a third or a fourth rather uh, patient uh, who was a doctor that had been uh, in West Africa helping treat, uh, uh, you know, the the, the Ebola uh, crisis, and he came back to the U.S. and he was diagnosed with the, with the illness as well. So around these uh, uh, each of these individual cases, there was you know a huge uh, media uh, um, mobilization that uh, you know really seeped into into public discourse. So if we just look at you know sort of the media impact of that, uh, it was quite substantial and you know very much out of proportion with sort of the actual public health risk that it, it sort of represented at any given moment in time. Adidas says that set the stage for Republicans to connect Ebola and immigration, which they found was successful. So the paper investigates whether the threat of Ebola, which became a very real threat in um, in the U.S. in the fall of 2014, has any effect on American attitudes towards immigration. So the outbreak actually started in West Africa in December 2013 and really devastated West Africa, but it didn't touch the U.S. until uh, the summer of 2014. And that coincided with the coming of the midterm elections of 2014. And so you started seeing U.S. politicians, overwhelmingly Republican politicians, calling for, for more restrictive measures, such as ending all, all flights from affected countries and closing the southern border. And you also started seeing increasing anti-African sentiment, particularly in Dallas, where the U.S. Ebola outbreak began. And in the media, you you could the, the, the term that came up over and over again was the evolification of immigration reform in the U.S. So, our interest in this study was to really investigate whether the fear of a public health threat coming from outside the U.S. could be exploited by political actors to shape American attitudes towards immigration. It's really, it is certainly what some politicians were trying to do in their communications with their constituents. They were very much, um, were talking about the Ebola and the Ebola response. And we wanted to basically know if if that worked, if they were able to shape uh, American attitudes towards immigration. So that was kind of the the objective of the of the study. The findings in a nutshell, there's two, two broad findings. The first is one that surprised us. We found that 
just mentioning Ebola did not change people's attitudes towards immigration. So a big kind of null effect for this first question. However, perhaps more interestingly, uh, we found that the politicization of the Ebola response, so in other words, a political actor kind of exploiting, criticizing the Ebola response, that did um, have an effect on respondents by making them less open to immigration. And the effect was particularly strong for Republican respondents. Campante says it even led to big Republican electoral gains in 2014. The broad question we're interested in is uh, what's the impact of fear on elections in general? That's kind of the the, the big question. And actually, this is very easy to motivate, uh, I guess, in the current context, of course. Uh, so when you think about the impact that COVID-19 might have in November, uh, on the one hand, you have that it in all likelihood, it's going to lead to a massive recession, and we know that that affects elections. It's going to, you know, it is requiring a massive policy response, which, you know, presumably people will judge incumbents on. But we can also imagine that sort of there's a pure fear anxiety element to it, right? So people are, are you know, anxious about this uh, uh, risk that is this virus that is out there. And that might affect, uh, you know, how they behave uh, uh, when it comes to voting and, and politicians may respond to that. And if we're interested in, in sort of this third aspect, the, the Ebola crisis of uh, 2014 or the Ebola episode, perhaps uh, uh, we should say, of 2014, it, it kind of provides us an, an almost ideal context because we have a relatively small shock to the actual sort of public health risk environment, but which had a, a, a very outsized, uh, pretty large impact on, on public discourse and generated quite a lot of public anxiety, which happened over the month before the midterm elections in 2014. So what what we ask is, what was the impact of Ebola, uh, sort of concerns surrounding Ebola on the election that year? And the key finding, uh, the first key finding is that Ebola concerns caused a substantial drop uh, in democratic vote share. Just to give you an idea of the magnitude, if we take a, a one standard deviation, you know, increase in Ebola concerns, uh, and we can uh, talk a bit about uh, how we measure those, that would be associated with a 4.5 roughly percentage point drop in the Democratic vote share, uh, which, if you look at the numbers from the, uh, from that election, would have uh, swung 15 uh, races that uh, House races that were won by Republicans. Which would have, uh, which is about the size of the gains that Republicans had between 2010 and 2014. So that's the first key finding, and this is associated with a drop in turnout as well. And by the way, uh, the the 2014 midterms had the lowest turnout in many many decades. Now, then the question is, what was going on that might be leading to this effect? And we also find that uh, politicians, in particular Republican politicians, responded to these Ebola concerns by by exploiting them strategically. So as Ebola cases uh, emerge, they start talking about it in a number of different ways and, and doing more of that in particularly competitive races, which indicates sort of the strategic uh, uh, use uh, of that, uh, of those concerns. And uh, we also find that they're not just talking about it, but they're talking about it in association with specific themes. They talk about it in association with immigration, terrorism, and President Obama. And then the question is, did that work? And one thing that we find is that Ebola concerns, they didn't make people more conservative in general, uh, uh, or they didn't really 
affect uh, President Obama's approval ratings, but they did uh, make people more conservative in terms of uh, uh, their attitude towards immigration. So this, this is sort of the, the, the broad picture that the paper uh, uh, points out. So there was this negative impact on the Democratic vote share, and uh, this uh, seems consistent with the, the strategic exploitation that we find Republicans uh, uh, pursued, and which seem to have an impact, not across the board, but in this specific uh, uh, topic of uh, immigration. Adina says politicization was a common Republican tactic that year. What we were what we were reading was kind of these anecdotes of um, mostly Republican politicians complaining, criticizing the Obama response. They were saying that the Obama administration needed to end all flights uh, from um, uh, from from the affected countries in West Africa. I think uh, Trump at the time tweeted that uh, even U.S. citizens coming from those places needed to be banned, could not be let in. There were a number of claims that were made about the uh, migrants coming in from the southern border and a number of people, a number of Republican uh, legislators linking Ebola to migrants from Mexico to ISIS all in one breath and talking about the dangers coming from the southern border. So, you know, again, so these are just kind of anecdotal examples. There is a more systematic study that was done, not by us, but um, that looked at uh, the the email communications, the e-newsletters that representatives sent their constituents and the number of times that different issues were mentioned. And it found just descriptively that uh, GOP legislators, GOP representatives, mentioned Ebola significantly more than uh, their Democratic counterparts, and that they mentioned it significantly more than they mentioned other issues at the time uh, that, that, w- that were salient, uh, the legalization of marijuana, for example. So, so there is a sense that in terms of communicating with their constituents that, that these politicians were trying to make Ebola uh, really salient in people's minds. They used a survey experiment to compare the effects of information about Ebola and its direct politicization. With support from the National Science Foundation, we fielded a survey experiment among a national sample of um, about 3,800 Americans between November and December 2014. And our goal was to test whether mentioning Ebola and emphasizing various aspects of the crisis had any effect on people's preferences toward immigration. So to do this, we randomly assigned our respondents to various versions of the survey, and each version of the survey emphasized something different. So we, were, we would be able to identify the causal effect of what we were emphasizing on people's immigration preferences. So what were these different versions? Uh, two-thirds of our sample was randomly selected to read a fact sheet about Ebola before answering questions about their attitudes towards immigration. So that's two thirds. And then the remaining third did not read a fact sheet before answering questions about their immigration preferences. So by doing that, we can measure what mentioning Ebola does to someone's preferences for immigration. But we did more than that. So among those reading the fact sheet, we had four groups reading four different versions of the fact sheet. The fact sheet had five bullet points about the Ebola crisis. The first four bullet points were all the same for all respondents. They covered where Ebola originated, what Ebola is, 
how it's transmitted and what its fatality rate is. But the fifth bullet point was different for each of the four groups of respondents. One of the bullet points, one of the versions, emphasized the American origin of one of the first cases of Ebola in the US. Another one emphasized the African origin of one of the first treated cases in the country. And by the way, both are, both actually uh, are correct. We didn't use any deception. We didn't lie at all in our survey. Um, it was the case that one of the first cases was an American doctor and another one of the first cases was a Liberian national. So both of these are technically um, true statements. And so what those two versions of the fact sheet allow us to do is to test whether people respond differently when we emphasize the African origin of the disease. Uh, and then we had two other versions. Uh, one uh, quoted in the last bullet point, it quoted an American politician criticizing the Obama administration's response to the crisis. And the other did the exact same thing, but emphasized that the politician was Republican. And again here, we didn't use any deception. We used an actual quote by um, Republican governor of Louisiana at the time, Bobby Jindal, who criticized the Obama administration. And so with those two versions, we can test whether the politicization of the public health crisis, and by that I mean that a politician publicly criticized the Obama administration's response to the crisis. And then we can also test whether this happens via partisanship and whether that has any effect on attitudes towards immigration. Okay, so what you have is you have a group of, of respondents who don't read anything about Ebola before telling us how they feel about immigration. And then we have these four groups of respondents who each read different versions of a fact sheet about Ebola. And that's how we're able to, to come up with the findings that I mentioned before. We measured attitudes towards immigration by using kind of these traditional measures that are used by the Pew Research Center, for example, where we measured how people feel about whether immigrants strengthen or weaken the country, whether legal immigration levels should be increased or decreased or kept the same, and whether illegal immigrants already in the U.S. should be allowed to stay, granted temporary work status, or required to return home. So we have these three questions. Um, we were able, we can create an index or we can look at these questions separately. Our first finding, which is this non-finding, looks at the effect of receiving any version of the fact sheet on immigration attitudes. So here we compare the two-thirds of the sample that got any version of the fact sheet to the one-third of the sample that didn't get anything, that didn't read anything about Ebola before saying anything about their immigration preferences. And again, we didn't find any effect here. We find no differences in immigration preferences between these two groups. And this was actually surprising to us. We were expecting that mentioning Ebola would make people more conservative and uh, more closed to immigration. When you start to look at the different versions of the fact sheet, it gets interesting. This is where we find that respondents who received the fact sheet that politicizes the crisis show less openness to immigration across the board. And this effect is pretty unsurprisingly strongest for Republicans. But we also do find an effect for independence. And although it doesn't reach statistical significance, we see some negative trend also among our Democratic sample. Campante's analysis used online activity to show that Ebola concern had a real local impact. When we're interested in a question like, you know, 
did Ebola, you know, anxiety around Ebola uh, cause whatever impact we're interested in in terms of like the the, the uh, electoral outcomes? There's a question of measuring those Ebola concerns. How do we know that in certain areas people were more concerned uh, uh, with Ebola? And our approach is to look at uh, people's online activities, right? So we use these two uh, um, kinds of online activity. On the one hand, Google searches, which we can uh, uh, measure and we can uh, sort of locate where these searches were coming from. And the second one is tweets, tweets that mention the word Ebola or hashtag Ebola. And out of, you know, the, 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 the total tweets we also focus on the ones that we can that we can geolocate and we can pinpoint where they were being sent from so that gives us that's very useful because it gives us this geolocated measure of Ebola concerns right so we know that there were people in these areas that were thinking about it they were looking it up online they were talking about it in social media so that's that's the the, the crucial advantage. Now, the limitation clearly is that the people who are active online aren't necessarily, uh, you know, your regular folks, right? Your, your average voters. So we're, we're taking this uh, slice of uh, the, the, the people in each uh, particular location, and we have to, to sort of make inference uh, uh, based on that. But that's, you know, another reason why uh, we may want to 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 deal uh, uh, to sort of use you know empirical methods that can allow us to to deal with uh, concerns around measurement measurement error right and sort of imprecision in the measurement. They tried to show a causal electoral impact by linking geographic differences and checking for the same mechanisms that Adida found. First thing to to sort of think about is how do we know that these Ebola concerns were causing these effects, right? So we can't just look at, you know, the measure of concerns and, and sort of correlate them with electoral outcomes, because it may well be the case that people who are likely to be concerned with Ebola uh, in that situation, they were already likely to vote one way or another or to think about President Obama in whichever way they, they, uh, uh, this, this might have gone. So we need to, to dig a little deeper and, and try to, to come up with a strategy that allows us to, to disentangle uh, sort of the causal impact of Ebola. And, and for that, we use uh, the geographical variation that Ebola uh, happened to feature in terms of how it, it affected the U.S., right? So we have these three locations, Dallas, Texas, the Cleveland-Akron uh, uh, area in Ohio, and New York City, that were, uh, uh, quote-unquote, affected uh, directly by Ebola, right? That's where the cases uh, uh, emerged or, or uh, uh, you know, there, there was uh, risk of exposure. And we use uh, proximity to these, uh, to these Ebola cases as the source of variation in Ebola concerns. And we show that the closer you are to one of these areas, the more concern uh, uh, you observe uh, uh, in terms of those measures that we use, right? The searches and the, and the online activity. And then what we find is in these areas uh, 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 that were uh, shocked by the Ebola uh, uh, threat in this way, we find that democratic uh, 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 vote shares went down, right? So that's kind of the first, the first key result. Now, then it, it, it raises the question of, you know, what's driving this drop in uh, uh, democratic vote share. And one hypothesis would be, 
well, maybe people are uh, 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 feeling anxious and, and upset and they're kind of projecting that anxiety and that fear on the performance of uh, incumbent politicians, right? So they are looking at the, 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 the president or you know, governors or, or what have you, perhaps uh, being frustrated by their uh, response to this crisis. So that's one hypothesis, right? So we decide to look at what is the impact that Ebola concerns have on sort of the, 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 the judgments that people are making about uh, incumbent politicians. And the first thing is that we find that there is uh, no impact on incumbent uh, politicians if they are Republican, right? So it's it's just uh, uh, sort of the Democratic side that is that that is being affected. So well, maybe uh, the Democratic candidates are being uh, uh, are suffering uh, by association with uh, President Obama, and people are uh, responding to Ebola concerns by by having more negative feelings towards President Obama. Well, we can look at that because there is uh, quite a lot of data on presidential approval ratings, right? So Gallup runs uh, daily polls uh, about presidential approval ratings. So we can look at that and see how it responded to the emergence of these Ebola cases. And we find zero effect, right? So there's no effect uh, uh, on the approval ratings of President Obama as measured by Gallup. We have other uh, 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 another survey as well, not in the same frequency, but we, which we can use and we find the same effect. So we really find no impact on uh, uh, the evaluation of President Obama. So question is, what's going on in the, in, in the minds of voters and what's going on in the political environment that might uh, uh, explain this uh, ultimate impact in the vote share of Democratic politicians? The, the other possibility is, this is, uh, you know, politicians are, are, you know, exploiting those themes and, 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 and raising those concerns and, and doing so in ways that, that are strategically uh, in their interest. So we look at the behavior of politicians and how do we measure that? Well, for members of Congress, they send these uh, newsletters to their constituents and we have the content of these newsletters. So we can actually look at the text and see whether they are mentioning Ebola, right? So we, we can search for the word Ebola in those newsletters. And we can also see if they are uh, uh, mentioning other other themes uh, uh, as they are mentioning Ebola as well, right? So what we find there is that politicians and Republican politicians they immediately respond to the emergence of the of the cases in the U.S. by talking about uh, Ebola and talking about Ebola not just in general again, but but in association with sort of traditional Republican themes such as you know, immigration uh, uh, or terrorism. And it's very easy to come up with examples, right? So uh, in the paper, we have uh, um, an example from then uh, candidate uh, uh, Tom Thillis, who was uh, now, uh, so he won the election in 2014. He is now the senator for North Carolina. And he's talking about how, you know, we have this Ebola crisis and the borders are a mess and, you know, we're, we need to control the borders because this is coming from abroad. We have uh, uh, examples uh, from Rand Paul as well. So you, you, you had this anecdotal perception at the time. And what we see in the data using these, these newsletters is that they were doing that uh, systematically. This is not just anecdotal examples. So newsletters are one source of information, but we also look at campaign ads. Right, so there is uh, 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 data available on 
the ads that candidates were placing at the time. And what's very interesting uh, for that is that these data, they code the, the, the appeal to fear that these ads make. So they do that based on you know, things like the use of ominous music and uh, 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 you know, the language and the like. So we can actually see whether they are uh, uh, responding by appealing more to fear, right? And we find that they are doing that, and they are doing that again in connection with immigration and, and terrorism and, and, and President Obama as well, right? And, and the Republican politicians are the ones that are doing that uh, as well. We're actually adding now the analysis. So this is uh, not current working paper version, but we're working on that. Uh, so similar results for, for Twitter activity of, of candidates. So we have a number of different measures that all points are in the same direction, which is that Republican politicians were talking up uh, the issue of Ebola and doing that in conjunction with uh, themes that they tend to think are, are favorable to them, right? And then the question becomes, like, did it work or not? Well, on the one hand, we saw that it didn't seem to have an impact uh, uh, when it comes to President Obama's approval ratings, even though Republican politicians were trying to uh, tie uh, Ebola to, to Obama in their, in their uh, tweets and ads and, and communications. Uh, but we do find evidence uh, from a survey data that, you know, voters uh, uh, became more uh, likely to report uh, anti-immigration uh, sentiments, right? And this is not true for other attitudes, uh, uh, by the way, kind of generally, uh, you know, general sort of conservative ideology or attitudes towards guns or, or, or gay marriage or, or religiosity, which are things that you might think of as having sort of this conservative uh, uh, balance as well. So we do not see action uh, in any of those things. We do see action specifically related to immigration, which we also think is very intriguing and, and interesting from, from a policy perspective. Adidas says that the electoral and experimental effects match up, though the survey experiment didn't find localized effects. I think that the two findings nicely complement each other. The Republican position since the early 2000s on immigration has been increasingly restrictive. And um, we show that politicizing the Ebola crisis to influence attitudes towards immigration was um, effective, especially for some groups of people. Uh, and, but even in general, even uh, among independents, it drew people closer to the Republican position. Now, is we, we with our study, we can't jump and make the jump and say, well, that's going to have effects uh, for actual vote share. But it is consistent with what uh, this other study found, uh, right, which is that the Democratic vote share and turnout went down. One of the things that we did in the paper that is, I don't know, I don't know that it made it, I think it might have made it in a footnote in the published version, is we looked to see if there were any, if there were stronger effects in Texas, since that is where the Ebola um, outbreak occurred. That's where it started in the U.S. And so we would expect maybe that we would find stronger effects among our respondents living in, in, in Texas. And we didn't see, we didn't get an, uh, a special effect, a stronger effect for those respondents. So we, we couldn't find any kind of, any evidence of a more localized response. Campante agrees that the mechanisms and the findings line up, with the research confirming that the experimental effect shows up in the wild. Generally speaking, the findings, they, they line up, you know, they're, they're consistent, right? So we're finding 
that there is this uh, uh, impact on attitudes towards immigration. And, and we're also finding that there was this uh, strategic exploitation by uh, Republicans, which I think lines up well with the results from, from the survey experiment. Now, what we add here is uh, first thing, and I think that's what we, uh, that's what we add with respect to the, to the previous literature in, in general when it comes to kind of thinking about the impact of fear and anxiety, is that a lot of, a lot of that literature is uh, uh, experimental. Uh, so, you know, typically like you're, you're sort of in a, in a lab context or uh, in, in a survey experiment in the case of that particular paper, but you're, you're sort of priming people uh, uh, to think about certain things and then you're sort of measuring their, uh, their response. So what we're adding here is that we're looking at the impact of that, not in the lab, uh, so to speak, but, you know, in the wild, uh, uh, to put it to put it that way, right? So you might say, well, you know, people might respond in a certain way when they're being surveyed or when they are in a lab experiment, but does it really matter like in an actual election? And what we find is, is, is that it does, right? And, and I think that's, uh, uh, that's very much what, what we think we're bringing to the table here. So how about potential political effects of COVID? Both see a lot of differences. Adidas says there are attempts to politicize COVID, but they might not succeed this time. I think we're seeing attempts of politicizing this. President Trump has called the virus uh, the Chinese virus. Uh, many other uh, Republican politicians have jumped have jumped into that. Uh, certainly Fox News has. And we're also seeing um, a jump in xenophobic and racist incidents reported against the Asian American community in, in the United States. Um, so there's definitely kind of the, the ugly racism is, is rearing its head here, just as, you know, racism and, and has always been tied to, to, to the threat of, of public health and to, to, to disease. So, so we are seeing that. I do think that the context, though, is, is different in three ways. Uh, the first is that, so the threat is much more salient. It's a much bigger scale. Only 11 people were treated for Ebola in the U.S. during that outbreak, and only, I think, one died. Compare this to the current crisis in the U.S., you know, more than 550,000 cases, close to 22,000 deaths. So the enormity of the crisis is much greater. It's also global. It was not global for Ebola. Ebola was um, an epidemic. It was not a pandemic. Part of this may be due to the political response itself, but it's also probably due to the nature of the virus itself, which my understanding is that it's very contagious before symptoms emerge. So, so, so the, the virus is very different. That we're, we, are, we are much farther into the crisis than we ever got with Ebola. And so there's, I think there's a lot less room for shifting blame, even though you see these attempts. I don't know that those attempts are going to be effective because, because we're dealing with a very, very important crisis with people dying. Um, and people are expecting a response. And so I, I'm not sure that, that the, the nature of the virus is really going to uh, give politicians much room for um, shifting the blame. The second question is the, just the polarization uh, in the country right now, the political polarization. It was already pretty bad in 2014. It's even worse today. There's a new working paper out that has surveyed 3,000 American citizens just in March of this year. This is by um, Shana Gadarian, Sarah Wallace Goodman, and Tom Papinski. And they found that the single most consistent factor differentiating Americans' health behaviors and preferences uh, in the midst of this COVID crisis is political uh, difference, partisanship. And so 
my sense is that the polarization that you that we've, we've we're seeing in the political landscape um, that's just been getting worse and worse is reflected again in how people are responding to the crisis. And uh, so you, you find Republicans being quite satisfied with the Trump response, everybody else being dissatisfied. It just seems like there's a lot less movement. There's a lot less possibility to move people around on issues these days. So I don't know that you would be able to see the kind of effects that we've identified. And the third the third difference is just the response. The, the Obama administration did not reject science at the time, whereas the Trump administration rejects science and vilifies the experts. And I think what's going to be I think this is a mistake for the Trump administration. If we look at the political science research on this, and here I think um, Shana Gadarian and Bethany Albertson's work on anxiety in politics is, is really informative, right? They, they show us that in a time of a public health crisis, the public wants to see the experts, the medical experts. They want to see protective policies. So they want to see Dr. Fauci. They don't want to see President Trump. And you know, President Trump is doing a lot of the President Trump show and is even hinting at firing Dr. Fauci. I think this would be a terrible mistake for him. So the response is different between then and now. And if we follow, if we believe the political science literature on this, I think that this is a mistake for for the Trump administration. Campante agrees there are a lot of key differences between COVID and Ebola that change the likely impact. There are important distinctions here that I think make the the outcome a bit hard to predict. That sort of the, the ultimate uh, impact of coronavirus uh, a bit hard to predict. I think you know the forces at play uh, uh, with Ebola when it comes to the fear and anxiety are going to be in play here, and and even more so because this is a much much bigger you know shock to the, to the actual you know health risks that people are facing. Right. So this is a real a uh, large, large-scale public health emergency in this country in a way that Ebola never came close to being, right? So that's uh, so. In that sense, this aspect that we isolate, I think, uh, is going to be very important because you know the the shock is going to be is going to be uh, very big. Now, what's different right now is is that the the shock is not just sort of the psychological shock, but there's also the economic shock. There's also sort of the policy response, right? And, and, and sort of the evaluation of that policy response, which can push uh, 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 in very different directions. So that also sort of makes the, the ultimate effect hard to predict. But if we focus on, the, on the, the, the fear aspect and the anxiety aspect, I think it's, it's, there, are some, there are similarities and, and, and there, are, there are distinctions. The similarities that, again, we have this uh, uh, this uh, virus that is that is coming from abroad, right? And and I, I think here the association with foreigners and with Im- immigration and and so on and so forth is something that is is you know I think it's it's it's, it's very uh, reasonable to believe that you know these associations will be triggered again. And I think we can see politicians already kind of trying to to exploit that. But what's Different here is that you know whereas uh, the incumbent in 2014, the president, right, was a Democrat. Right now, the the, the president is a Republican, so that uh, you know changes sort of the, the the way the political incentives are kind of playing out here. Now, I think 
what we find is that the, 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 the pure anxiety shock doesn't seem to connect directly to the way you think about the incumbent necessarily, right? So it's not as if it's leading to, uh, 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 you know, more negative evaluation of the incumbent, even if, you know, at the time the, the, the opposition party was trying to build that association. On the other hand, I mean, obviously right now, the, the, again, the impact is, is much bigger than it was uh, for the case of Ebola in 2014. So the importance of the, the policy response is, is much greater now, which I think, again, makes it, makes it harder to predict which political forces might, might be harmed or might benefit you know, from, from, this, uh, from this shock now. He says Republicans are trying to make the connection to China which gives them a clearer strategy than Democrats, but it's unclear if it will work for either side. On the Republican side, it's pretty clear from, from the actions of, uh, you know, uh, Republicans, of, you know, many Republican uh, politicians and, and, and you know, President Trump uh, as well, what, what the playbook is, which is a very similar playbook from the Ebola, right? Which is kind of trying to tie this to, you know, foreigners and to immigration. So, you know, talking about the, "Quote unquote Chinese virus or the Wuhan virus, and and making that type of association, and and you know pointing to the response of oh we close down the border to to China, you know whatever the the the, the actual nature of the of the policy response was. So I think that part of the playbook is 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 kind of easy to 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 draw, and and I think they are they are already doing it. On the Democratic side, I think it's it's more complicated because I think. You know the message that uh, comes from our paper is that you have to find an association that resonates with voters, right? And obviously, sort of the immigration and sort of the foreigner association is not one that uh, I think plays you know to the benefit of Democrats. So uh, you know, if I were to put my political strategist hat uh, on the Democratic side, I'll be like, okay, we need to think, you know, to think about something that can resonate with topics that that are favorable to us. So maybe something about anxieties associated with healthcare, or or you know, the the sort of the economic fallout of this. You know, th- those were the things that I would speculate. You know, uh, wearing that political strategist hat. So where do we go from here? Adita plans more research on immigrant scapegoating, but she sees possible solutions in some framings of the COVID crisis. My, my research topic of interest, what really kind of gets me up in the morning and excited to do research is the study of migration and how people respond to migrants and understanding under what conditions migrant communities uh, face exclusion or assimilate. And I think there's been a lot of very very rich literature and rich research in the social sciences to understand what leads to exclusion. When are migrants scapegoated? When are they excluded? Just how powerful threat narratives can be to exclude people who aren't like us. We know a lot about these questions. And so my recent work looks at how we can foster inclusion instead. I I look at how things like uh, perspective taking or putting yourself in someone else's shoes can mobilize people to act on behalf of, uh, of vulnerable minorities uh, or can move people to hold more inclusionary attitudes towards immigration. And so right now, in light of the COVID crisis, I'm looking at how narratives of refugees contributing to the fight against COVID 
could influence public opinion towards refugees and towards refugee policy. So more generally, can you move these boundaries, these in-group, out-group boundaries for people? Can you shift how people think about who is a member of my group or not? Uh, who do I include when I think about solidarity? And especially in a time of crisis like COVID, which is affecting everybody at the same time, is this an opportunity to, to increase inclusion? And if so, how can we do that? Since there's so much work already showing that you can do the negative stuff, you can scapegoat migrants, you can scapegoat refugees, you can blame uh, racial minorities. Can we do, are there messages? Are there, is there, is there a political communication or rhetoric that can do the opposite, which is to increase inclusion of these minorities. Capante says coronavirus research may be harder, but there could be a chance to compare the effects of media coverage of disease on public opinion. One, one challenge that, that will obviously face uh, uh, sort of the study of the impact of coronavirus is that it's just this massive shock that is uh, taking place uh, all over the country. I mean, there's variation in that. But I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to, to think about uh, sources of, uh, you know, what we would call exogenous variation, right? So things that induce more or less exposure to coronavirus, but that are not correlated with, with other, other, you know, features that also affect political behavior. I think, you know, there are ways to think about that, but that would be one uh, major challenge that, uh, uh, you know, is, I think, harder to solve in the current context. But in terms of our own research, you know, the one aspect that we're interested in and that we, we haven't dug into as much so far and we plan to is, is to kind of try to think about the role of the media in all of this, right? So I think uh, there is a lot of anecdotal evidence. Uh, and if you just look at the data on, you know, the dimensions to Ebola in, in uh, TV news coverage, it reaches sort of this uh, peak uh, right in the middle of sort of the, the last month of campaign, and then it just collapses and goes to basically zero, like right after the, the election, right? And so then there's a question of to what extent uh, uh, or what was the role that the media play in sort of amplifying that uh, the concerns with Ebola, and did that uh, uh, help explain the political sort of the patterns of political impact that we find in the data? So that's something that we're very much interested in digging into going forward. There's a lot more to learn. The Science of Politics is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Thanks to Clara Dita and Felipe Campante for joining me. Please check out Ebola, Elections and Immigrations, and The Virus of Fear, and then listen in next time. <laughs>